United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, another great show covering a whole lot of topics. We start with Becky Burley, longtime friend to the United Soccer Coaches, longtime head coach at the University of Florida. She won a national championship there, of course, known for coaching Abby Wambach and Heather Mitz and all these great players. Well, at the moment, the SEC still planning to play soccer. A lot of the other leagues like the Big Ten and Pac-12 have said no fall sports. The SEC still holding out hope and Becky Burley Gets us caught up on that, including her thoughts about maybe matching up with Mark Krikorian and Florida State this fall. That's always a great matchup. I love it when listeners reach out to me, say they like the show, and then I find out about them and learn that they've done great things in soccer. Danielle Fagan has done great things. She started a company called Soccer DCF, which stands for her initials, Danielle Christine Fagan, but also stands for Development, Character, and Fun. Who doesn't love those three things for sure? She's my second guest. Quick visit with Penn State as we continue to knock out Big Ten men's soccer, but we'll be spreading out the love to all the leagues. Penn State means Jeff Cook and last year's Big Ten midfielder of the year, Aaron Malloy. And then we meet two more members of our 30 Under 30 class, Delaney Marrier and Ted Steen. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I'm Dean Linkey. You've been listening in the last several weeks. We've been talking Big Ten men's soccer. The Big Ten announced already that all fall sports are going to be canceled, but we continue to keep our eye on the SEC. Of course, big picture, they keep an eye on football because it's a big revenue generator here at United Soccer Coaches. We keep an eye on soccer, women's soccer specifically, and we're pleased to be joined by the 26-year head coach for the University of Florida, former national champion, Becky Burley. Becky, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean. My pleasure. Yeah, Becky, crazy times, unprecedented times, in many ways, sad times for anybody, uh, no matter whether you're an athlete or a non-athlete. But And I know you don't know everything, but what can you tell us about what you're hearing so far about any remote chance of playing soccer this fall? Well, I think that's still alive in the SEC and the ACC and a couple other conferences as well. At the moment, I think there's been some work on trying to hammer out what a, a safe and effective experience for athletes would look like. Can you paint a picture of what that might be? Do you have any ideas? You know, um, funnily, it seems to sort of starting to be reflected a little bit in the split season model. Not exactly like the split season model that a lot of the men's programs have talked about for a long time, but sort of due to the nature of the situation because, you know, obviously the NCAA championship has been postponed until the spring segment, if that happens at all. And so at the moment, we're trying to see if there's a possibility of 
finding a way to play some SEC games, like I said, in a safe manner for the athletes. Any chance, uh, you know, you think Florida and then down the road in Tallahassee, you think Florida State ACC, any chance we can get that game in? Well, you know, it's funny that you asked that question because I talked to Mark this weekend, and I think we both agree that's, you know, one of our favorite games of the year for both programs because they're always such competitive games and have such great school spirit between the two schools. And it's such a close game. You know, it's two hours away for both of us. It's an easy drive. We respect uh, the protocols that FSU would follow. They're the same for us. So we'd feel really comfortable if we could get that game in. So we've got our fingers crossed. This is so tough for everybody, but I think especially for the athletes, particularly you think about senior athletes making a decision. If you know if it does get postponed, do they come back? And then also for juniors that want to be recognized by Becky Burley, that want to be scouted and, and get a chance to get a scholarship, and then seniors that don't get their last year in high school, what's your message to all of those categories? Yeah, it's definitely been a tough year. I think I just try to keep perspective by dealing with things that are way worse than the situation we're in. We're not allowed to fully play our sport right now, but there's a lot worse things in the world that are going on. So keeping perspective, I think, is really important. But I realize that's hard. You know, if I'm a graduate of the class of 21 and I don't have a school yet and coaches can't come see me play and I can't go visit their schools, that's a tough spot to be in, and I know that's a really important part of their world. But I also think about it from a standpoint of, like, if we don't get to play our sport or football, like, what that means for a lot of the economies of the towns that we live in. You know, especially in the SEC, we have so many college towns that really rely on the university and our activities to prop up the town economically. And that's not lost on me either. I mean, I think kind of in a way, like, I really think about us all playing for something bigger than ourselves right now. That's so well said. Becky Burley, United Soccer Coaches, they love your work. They always reach out to you. You never say no to them. If they called you to be part of the digital convention in January, will you partake, and why should people keep an eye on that? They should definitely keep an eye on it because, you know, in some ways a digital convention – maybe allows for some people that wouldn't normally be able to fit that into their schedule to get all the way out to the West Coast. And so I think it's kind of exciting about the potential that that digital convention could have, and I certainly would like to be a part of it. Now, speaking of communication, how has life sort of changed? How do you keep in touch with your players? I know you're back out there now doing controlled practices, but before that, what was your method of communicating with your team? Probably the best piece of advice I've gotten through this whole episode since March was in the absence of communication, negativity will fill the gap. And I got that from P.J. Fleck, the Minnesota football coach, and I think that's so true. So what we've tried to do is, like, over-communicate and over-provide information to not just the players but to the parents and the families of our players, giving them, you know, as much information as we possibly could. Like right when this all started in March, we sent our team a binder that had everyone's contact information, the schedule, the hotels, like everything that we had coming up so that they would know. Gave them some resources. And then as we progressed through all this, you know, obviously uh, when George Floyd was murdered, that was a whole other set of stressors for our team and athletes and families and So we tried to provide resources to help educate, and um, Florida has done a great job. We we created an initiative called Listen, Learn, and Act. I took part in that, and some of our players have taken part in that in different ways. And I think just staying engaged and finding ways to, you know, contribute meaningfully to the community, like whether it's the community of us as a soccer team or the community of Gainesville or your home community, Like, that's been something really important to us during this break. 
great tips. Finally, let's end with this, Becky, is we both said before we recorded that this has been the longest year. It feels like the longest month, longest day, longest sure minute. Yes, we try to figure it out. But I also pointed out that this is year 26 for you at Florida, and that reminded you that last year you had a big celebration. I imagine you also celebrated that national championship team. Just one year removed. Let's just pretend we're still back there. How great was a year ago celebrating 25 years? Well, you know, this program is made up of so many people, and it's not just the players, like the former staff and everybody that's been part of our program. And to be able to, you know, sort of recognize that whole side of it, it was cool last year to hear from some people that we hadn't heard from in a long time and to have some people want to join that celebration and recognize that they're a big part of, you know, how we got through our history now. One of the things we always do here at Florida is anytime – we are in the vicinity of an alumni, like for a road trip, or if they're in Gainesville, we have them come talk to our team. We actually had someone come today. And that's something, because of the virus, like I've really missed that interaction. And it's it's so funny to me because when they come and talk, they always reference back to when they were a player and the alumni were talking to them. And it's so funny how similar the messages are and yet how it's so much easier to hear it once you've gone past here. And I think that sort of just shows the the depth of the program and all the people that have kind of contributed to that over the years. Becky, thanks for being a great friend to United Soccer Coaches because I always get the feeling that the feeling's mutual. You feel the same about the association that they feel about you. No doubt. I mean, I, I can remember, you know, my first coaching courses were NSCAA at the time coaching courses, and I felt like that was like my first real foray into my professional development as a coach and how much that impacted me. And, you know, I was really nervous for those first coaching classes. I, You know, I was one of the few women involved, and I was just intimidated because I felt like everybody knew so much more than me, you know. But I just felt like the environment that the association created to welcome a young coach like me, welcome a young female coach especially, that made all the difference in my ability to kind of continue to grow as a coach, and I would highly recommend that experience for anybody. That is outstanding. Always a breath of fresh air. Becky Burley, hope to see you out on the soccer field. Becky, thanks for being a part of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Well, thanks. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Becky Burley certainly a powerful woman in soccer, and we're going to meet another powerful woman. Her name is Danielle Fagan. She's been a long-time listener to the podcast, and I appreciated her reaching out, and then I was able to learn a little bit more about her as she created Soccer DCF. It was started in 2003 as simply a training company with Danielle Fagan and coaches that she hired to develop players on and off the field. It has since evolved into a holistic consulting soccer business where she is the brand and the only coach. Her goal is to have everyone win whatever game they are playing in life. Soccer DCF is her passion and her legacy. And we'll learn more about Danielle Fagan and Soccer DCF after this message. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. 
United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. As I talked about, we're starting off the show with not one, but two powerful women, Becky Burley, the head coach at Florida now for 26 years, kicking it off. And now I'm pleased to be joined by Danielle Christine Fagan. And I put the Christine in there for a reason, as we're going to find out. She is the founder, the owner, the brand of Soccer DCF. DCF stands for Development, Character, and Fun. We're going to have a whole lot of fun meeting Danielle Fagan. Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Danielle. Great to be with you. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, as you know, I love doing this podcast, and I love when super smart people that have devoted their life around the passion of the game reach out, and that's what you did. And then when I asked for your elevator speech, it blew my mind, and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to wait. I want to have you on right now. So with that, go ahead and give your elevator speech. What is Soccer DCF, and what do you do? So Soccer DCF is a holistic approach to training soccer players. You know, I'm, I'm all about developing players on and off the field. It's X's and O's, but I'm really more concerned about them being just great people and contributors to society and winning whatever games that they're playing, whether it be education and career. I talk to players all the time about teamwork and leadership and just also taking care of themselves. And that's really what it's all about. Well, and I have learned that you were a jock. I mean, you played all the sports and you were a big time soccer player and then you played softball. Then you tried to leave and they called you back. And so then you're like, got to take more classes. Then you got your master's. So you got academics and athletics. That's kind of how really you were grounded initially, right? I grew up with sports and my dad didn't know a thing about soccer, but he's had a ball in front of me since I was born ball, hockey puck, whatever. A friend of his at work taught him how to kick a ball. So he was teaching me how to kick a ball. And I just didn't know life without it. So three sports in high school, soccer, basketball, softball. And I couldn't imagine going to college without some sort of sport and ended up playing both soccer and softball in college. And it was a blast. In fact, it's still in touch with both my soccer and softball coaches. We just celebrated my soccer coach's 80th birthday and definitely still in touch with, with the softball coach, too. She just retired from Villanova, and we had a big celebration for her a couple of years ago. Well, if you listen to the show and you said you do, I like to drop names. So tell us your soccer coach and your softball coach, Danielle. So my soccer coach is Sheldon Chamberlain. He's been around a long time. He's still around the game. He still coaches, and it's, it's a lot of fun just to be around him. And my, my softball coach is Maria DiBernardi. She was at Villanova University for 34 years. Legend yeah. right there, big time. Absolutely. Okay. And you did say before you started Soccer DCF, you tried the corporate world a little bit, and you mentioned even wearing the suit, and you're like, this is not for me. Talk about what you did before you created Soccer DCF. I started out in project management and marketing, business development, initially for a space planning and design company. It was all office furniture. So we'd go into big corporations, and I worked on a team. And we designed out their space for them. Companies like Vanguard and Deloitte Consulting, SAP America. And one of the best parts about working for that company is that I got to be part of a team. In fact, the president of the company, he always called me by my last name. He says, Fagan, do you know why I hired you? I said, yeah, because I went to Villanova and you went to Villanova. He says, no, because I played basketball at Villanova. And that's how I got my first job. And you're an athlete. And I love athletes. And, you know, and I used to run out of work you know, two times a week and rush to the soccer field, change my suit in the car, throw my shorts and t-shirt cleats on and run out and coach the team. And 
I did that, you know, for a few years. And a woman actually, one of my coworkers had said to me, she was retired and she was only coming back and would work a couple times a week, a few hours. And she says, Danielle, you should make your avocation, your vocation. I said, oh, I could never do that. Why would I do that? She says, well, because you get so excited just running out of the office two nights a week to go coach your little team. And so finally in 2003, I literally just basically gave my two weeks notice and said, hey, I'm going to go start a soccer business and I'm going to coach full time. And, and I just created it from there. What did it look like, Soccer DCF in 2003, because then you even hired some other employees. And what does it look like now? And specifically, I want to know like who you're working for. What kind of things are you doing? What is it that you love doing? Is it everything? Youth club, ODP, overseas? I mean, break it down for us. It started out literally as just me. I'm really passionate about having female role models as coaches. So I was trying to get as many of my friends and teammates and try and get them to work with me and get them in front of these girls as well. Because mostly at the time when I was doing this, it was a lot of dads that were coaching. Nothing wrong with that. It's just I was trying to get some of the moms involved. And, and again, some of my friends, we didn't have kids yet. But, you know, so it started out that way. And then I, I really built up a staff of coaches over the years. And I had my own club teams and I was, I was juggling club teams. So I'd have three or four at a time. And some of my friends were my assistant coaches and then they were head coaching other teams. I worked with a number of clubs in the area. Then I took on a high school team and coached there for six years. And that was awesome. State ODP staff. I have to drop Charlotte Moran's name because she gave me my start with state ODP. I love her to death. Started with that, and then she also got me into regional ODP before she passed, unfortunately. And I, I started doing all my licenses. In fact, I started doing my licenses when I was back in corporate. So I would use my vacation to go take coaching courses. So I was taking the, at the time, the NSCAA diploma courses, and I was taking the U.S. soccer licensing courses, you know, as the years went by. And then, you know, after having, I think I staffed up to close to 30 coaches. About five years ago now, I just said, that's it. It's just going to be me. And everybody kind of went their own separate way. It's not like I fired anybody per se. And I staff up every once in a while if I'm doing a camp and I need some help. But now it's with players that I started coaching in 1997. They're older now than I was when I started coaching them. It's crazy. They're, they're, having, you know, they're married and they have kids. And I'm coaching some of their kids now too, which makes me feel old. What are they hiring you for, Danielle? The way my business has really transformed is, you know, I used to be hired as a head coach of club teams and then I would work with state ODP and I was working, running my own camps and working other people's camps, whether they be college camps or regional camp. Now, essentially, the company has transformed into mostly consulting. The two biggest parts of my business are working with individuals. A lot of them are the high school age and they're looking to play in college, you know, division one, two or three, nothing in particular. And I work with them, not just on the field, but I'm working with them with the college recruiting process. And even just, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's a holistic approach to the student athlete. You know, we talk academics, we talk nutrition, we talk, you know, and I refer them out to my colleagues that specialize in those areas, strength and conditioning, nutrition, et cetera. Some of these players I start with when they're just 10, 11 years old. I have two players right now that are seniors in high school and I've been working with them since they were 11. And that's a lot of fun because not only are they taller than me now, I'm only 5'3", but they're just, you know, it's been fun just really watching them grow up. And I learn from them too. It keeps me young and it keeps me relevant. I'm learning about TikTok and um, all sorts of other 
other fun things. <laughs> the other piece of it too is I work with local clubs and I'll do team camps for them. And I, I'm more of a trainer of coaches at this point. And I work with a local club right now called Colonial Soccer Club. And the thing that I really love about it is they are what I like to call your old school. They're one of the last clubs out there that is still volunteer run, parent coaches, and they have just a couple of people who come in and do some training. And right now I'm transitioning into, I'm essentially the technical director for the club. And I'm, you know, one of the only hired people at the club. And and I work with the coaches and I work with the kids. And these are multi-sport athletes. And if we have some special players that then want to go and play premier and play at a higher level, then I help them find the club that fits best for them so that they can get that kind of training. Like I love that the, the club knows who it is and isn't trying to be an ECNL club, for example, or an academy or anything like that. They know who they are and people come there because that's what, that's what they want. And it's a lot of fun because I also get to then work with a lot of different kids. And that was one of the reasons I gave up my teams because I wanted to have a, a much broader, larger impact on as many players and coaches as I could at a time. We're here with Danielle Fagan, Soccer DCF, Danielle Christine Fagan, which also stands for Development, Character, and Fun. Give me the abbreviated version of what those three words mean to you, Development, Character, and Fun. Well, you know, I'm all about developing players on and off the field. At the end of the day, hardly any of these kids are going to go on and play soccer after high school or after college. So it's, it's developing them to take all the lessons that they've learned on the field and how do they apply them to life. And then character for me is, you know, it is all part of the development. It's what are the character traits that they're bringing into their families, their relationships, their teams, their careers. And then fun is, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, if, if you're not having fun, then why do it? You ask any of my older players now that are in their 20s and 30s, they'll say, you know, one of the things that they really learned was that do what you love and love what you do and have fun doing it. And hey, not to say that I'm, I'm like, listen, I drive players. I'm a straight shooter. I'm tough. I'm really tough. And there are a lot of players that, that struggle, but they, they then learn how to work hard. Let me ask you this. As I think about fun, I love what I do. I have fun every day. In fact, it's not really work. I'm going to ask you to put a little pressure on you here as you've done a lot of neat things. I was looking at your connections on LinkedIn. Those are some really smart people that you're associated with that I have mad respect for. But when you think about fun and some great moments in your life, what comes to mind is perhaps the most fun or the biggest enjoyment you've had in what you do. So in general, the thing that's really fun for me is when the light switches go off for kids, like when they get it. Maybe it's not just kids, but sometimes teenagers. It's like we've been working on something and it either shows up in a game or a training session. I mean, I get chills just talking about it now. I get so excited when they get it and they can execute it. That really lights me up. I had a lot of fun with my high school team. We were very, very successful. We won two state championships, but the, the fun with them was the journey to those state championships. It was the goofy things that they did on the field. They, they played so many pranks on me. I mean, they posted noted my entire SUV one night during preseason when I, you know, they, they found my car in the parking lot at my apartment building. And I woke, I got out the next morning and it was covered in post-it notes, but I got them back. I took them all off and pretended it didn't even happen. And then uh, about a month later, I posted noted the entire locker room with all the <laughs> same post-it notes. But, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was a really, fun time. And then what's also been fun for me is seeing them 
coaching or or in their careers. Been reaching out to a lot of them during during quarantine. And one of them, she ended up with a, a serious illness from an injection for an MRI. She had, she had to have a, a dye injected. And she said, and it was really fun talking to her, but one of the things that made the biggest difference for her in playing for me, aside from, you know, she won two state championships, but what she remembered was all the fun we had. And one of the things that I used to do with my high school team is I used to write a little note to them before every single game, having to do with the theme for the day or something we were working on, something inspirational. It was a variety of things. And in 2007, I had summited to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. So that fall, I mapped our entire season onto that climb. So we started in preseason at the base of the mountain and we climbed that mountain. And I told them stories about where we were on the mountain related to where I was in my climb. And she said, you know, she was really sick for this past year leading up into quarantine with that injection, the reaction she had to the injection. And she said what got her through it was she remembered that climbing Kilimanjaro was just one step at a time and it took the whole season. And she said she spent the whole year climbing that mountain. I mean, it's not fun that she had that injury, but it's fun to hear that something that they learned had nothing to do with soccer. And she took that into her life and She's healing and she's doing great. I knew you'd have a great answer there for sure. And I feel like people might want to reach out to you, Danielle. I obviously did. If people want to learn more about soccer, DCF, now's your chance. How can people maybe get a chance to work with you? Yeah, so it's really easy. You can just go to my website, soccerdcf.com. You can email me, soccerdcf at yahoo.com. I'm also on Instagram as soccerdcf and I'm on Twitter, soccerdcf as well. So you can reach me and any of those social media, as well as LinkedIn, where you and I connected. I'm under LinkedIn is just my name, Danielle Fagan. I'm so glad we did connect. And obviously, you already talked about your passion for United Soccer Coaches, then named NSCA, getting all the diplomas. But I'm always proud to see people like you that are talented and driven that listen to the podcast. What do you enjoy about the podcast, Danielle? The thing I really enjoy, because I listen to a lot of podcasts, the thing that I really enjoy is the variety. It's not just the pro players or the top coaches, it's club coaches, it's all levels of the game, it's high school. And I learned so much. The thing that I like too is that each podcast has a little bit of everything in it. You know, there's a little bit of variety. And I really love the 30 under 30. I wish they had that program when I was under 30 and just getting started. But I can thank my my former college coach for he took me to my very first convention in Philadelphia and got me involved right, you know, before I was 30. So that was he was my 30 under 30 mentor unofficially. But yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's what I love. I mean, everyone's got something to contribute. You know, whether you're, you know, Anson Dorrance, who's one of my favorite coaches to, to listen to and learn from and, or, you know, somebody like myself, who's just, I don't want to say just coached club, but club and high school. And that's what I, I really love about it. I really appreciate you connecting. As I told you, after you sent your elevator speech, I'm like, man, I'm digging this. I want to have you on. And we made it happen right away. And here you are on this week indeed. All right. Last question as we end our great conversation as it's been outstanding to meet you, Danielle. When you think of United Soccer Coaches, what does it mean to you? Going back to my to my days of of taking all the the, cor- the diploma courses and the conventions is it's it's community. Everybody's there to help each other. 
that's what I really, really love about it. And again, you know, connecting at all levels of the game and going back to my diploma courses, I remember just eating in the dining hall during the courses and Jerry Smith came down and sat at my table. And then I got to work the Santa Clara camp and Tony DeChico gave me his cell phone number and said, if you ever have any questions, give me a call. And you know, I, a funny story, I emailed him because I had a quick question and uh, he emailed me back and he said, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was afraid to call him. So I called him and it was awesome because I had a question about the 433 and he gave me this awesome answer. He's like, well, you know, he was saying when Julie Foudy would overlap me a ham and I was like, I can't believe I'm having this conversation that like he would take the time to do that for me. So it's it's community and respect and like we're all on an equal playing field. Your sandwich right between Becky Burley and Jeff Cook and Aaron Malloy from Penn State. So not a wow, bad. That's, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I met Becky Burley at the WAGS tournament the first year she was recruiting before she even had her team. And here's what's crazy how I met her. So the assistant, other assistant coach from Villanova and I were down there recruiting and he did his, one of his diploma courses with her and he introduced me to her. So I met her when I was like, I don't know, 28, 29. I mean, it was crazy. I actually heard her speak at the convention. I should have gone up and told her afterwards, but pretty cool to be following her on the podcast. Best way to describe Becky Burley. Just relatable, really relatable. Like, I, I mean, and I think she really cares about her players. I could tell just by the way she talks about her team. And I mean, you don't, you don't stay at a school for that long if you don't care and people can't relate to you. Remind everybody, it's SoccerDCF.com if you want to learn more or work with Danielle Christine Fagan, who's all about development, character, and fun. Glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks so much. It was awesome. Good times with Danielle Fagan. Coming up, a quick visit with Jeff Cook, now back in college soccer. He's the top man at Penn State, along with Aaron Malloy, last year's Big Ten Midfielder of the Year, now with the Portland Timbers. Penn State men's soccer up next on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We continue to catch up with all nine Big Ten men's soccer coaches. And throughout upcoming weeks, we'll also be talking to ACC men's and women's coaches, SEC, Big 12, Pac-12, as we try to spread the love. Today, though, it's Penn State, Jeff Cook. So great to see him now at Penn State. And, of course, last year's Big Ten Midfielder of the Year, Aaron Malloy, now with the Portland Timbers program. I did these interviews with former Indiana goalkeeper Chris Monroe. We call him the professor. And Chris asked this first question to Jeff Cook. Looking back, you had great runs as the head coach of Dartmouth and Cincinnati. But would you talk a little bit about how your time in the Philadelphia Union system really prepared you for this role here in Happy Valley? Thank you. Uh, it was a really formative time for me. And, and one of the things I always try and do is keep learning, no matter how many years you've been in it or how many seasons you've coached. And I think the, the opportunity to come back into the collegiate game with a, at an institution like Penn State was very exciting for me. But having that exposure to the professional side of the game, I think, changed me as a coach. It increased my network. And I think it helped me to reformulate some of the ideas I had about team building, team development. And I hope it can 
continue to pay off in the future. Aaron, during your time at Penn State, you actually saw the coaching change. Talk about what Coach Cook brought to the Nittany Lions program and how he helped you grow as a player and as a person. Yeah, as soon as, as Coach came in, he challenged me as a player to be the best player I could be, whether it was on the field or off the field, getting all the little things done. It was a massive change in, in the culture, and it, it's, it's, it's going um, in the right direction. And Aaron, you're really known as being a, a true two-way center midfielder who's equally adept at attacking as you are defending. But I know all central midfielders usually have one little bit of a preference one way or the other. If you had to pick one, attacking or defense, which is the one that you'd uh, slide toward doing more of if you could? No, that's funny. I think I, I see myself as a defensive midfield player who likes to be on the ball a lot, takes lots of shots. So an offensive six, if that kind of makes sense. So it's going to be on the ball as much as possible. So, yeah, just kind of in the busy area of the midfield. Well, that's, that's a perfect answer. And, and really this last season with the nine goals and the six assists that you had becoming Big Ten midfielder of the year, would you talk a little bit about how Coach and his whole staff really helped you progress that offensive side of your game from that sophomore to junior to then senior season? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think stepping out of my comfort zone, first of all, from just in my mind, I'm wanting to be a defensive midfielder and uh, having conversations and learning every day from practice, from from different formations to to testing myself. I think that was something that was uh, different, slightly different heading into the 2019 season. Um, and it's something that I took on and I wanted to do what would be best for the team. And if that was pushing me a little bit forward, taking some shots, set pieces, I, I, was, I was all for it. And it, it definitely helped me get to where I am right now. Coach Cook, I've been lucky to call a lot of great goals, but the one that Aaron scored actually in a loss, although Aaron reminded me the next year he was able to get Maryland back, but that goal he scored right before the halftime whistle at Maryland, one of the all-time great goals. You remember that, Coach Cook? I certainly do, and I'm just chuckling here because I have my defensive midfielder who was often in the other team's penalty area deep into overtime and say, wait, you said you're a defensive midfielder. Get back there. (laughs) But, no, being in those positions, Aaron, I, I did feel Aaron could threaten the team's goal. Uh, with with unbelievable strikes like that. He had a quite a good one this year, if I remember right, against Appalachian State and some other really key goals. And Chris, as you mentioned, not not just great technical strikes, but also in really important moments, which I think is a mark of a very impactful player. So I uh, get a few gray hairs from trying to keep him in front of our back four, being more defensive, but he had uh, just an incredible season and, and was a huge part of our success, without a doubt. Well, Aaron making that jump and then obviously going to the pros, being a first-round draft pick of the Portland Timbers. Coach Cook, what would you say in terms of his development over those couple of years that you were with him pleased you or impressed you the most that you think really allowed him to make that jump to the next level? I think some of the things he mentioned earlier about just the balance, getting the balance right is really difficult. And I I feel I had some work uh, and experience with Aaron when he was part of the Reading United program or PDL affiliate with the union. So I kind of knew what Aaron could bring to the table, but I think getting that, that balance right between taking risks going forward, but also being there in the key moments to help uh, defensively. And sometimes when you're a player like Aaron, who maybe was at the top of his game, you can take a few more risks that you might not be able to get away with at the next step in the professional game. And I have no doubt that Aaron will succeed in figuring that out here in, in the coming months. So with that, Aaron, we'll go to you. How are things going for you in Portland? Yeah, it's going great. I'm, I'm settled in, um, really enjoying practice, just trying to get games under my belt. And yeah, the goal is obviously to, to take that next step and be with the first team in MLS. So um, I'm looking forward to the, the games ahead. I have to ask, Aaron, in terms of most memorable college moments, was it that goal? 
against Maryland, does something else from last season come to mind as you reflect upon your four years in Happy Valley? Yeah, I think the most memorable goal would be against Maryland that year, but I think the most memorable moment would be actually playing Maryland at home the following year and doing the exact same thing, going down 2-0, coming back 2-2 and double overtime when our striker, Christian Slow, slotted one in. I think for me, that was the most memorable moment. It was a great win and we felt as though we owed them one from the previous year. So, um, yeah, it was a massive win for us um, and for the program too. I want you both to speak on the fact that uh, I'm lucky enough to call games all over the country, but my favorite place to call a game is Happy Valley. Coach Cook, it's a special place. We're so fortunate. We have world-class fields and our fan base and just the environment of being, you know, sitting down in the Valley, especially the night games are just that extra bit special. Representing the Nittany Lions is a really opportunity that we treasure, you know, and to be able to be on that field week in and week out is is really special. Um, So we're very grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, from the first moment I, I stepped on the, the Penn State campus, I, I went to see Jeffrey Field, and it was uh, that was a place I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my collegiate career. And it's one place that I, I'll never take for granted. Jeffrey Field is really, really a special, special place to be. Once again, I want to thank the professor Chris Monroe from Indiana. Great idea to get this thing going. Certainly enjoyed it, and I want to thank Jeff Cook and Aaron Molloy from Penn State. Coming up next, we meet two more members of our 30 Under 30 class, Delaney Marrier and Ted Steen. We start with Delaney after this message. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Packers Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. Down the stretch we go as we aim to get all thirty current members of this impressive thirty under thirty class, fifteen outstanding women, fifteen. Outstanding men under the age of 30 dedicated to the game we love of soccer. Today is Delaney Marrier, who is the director of the East 812 Salvo Soccer Club in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. She's also the 2007 Girls Academy head coach. Delaney, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Dean. All right. Before we went on the air, you said it's been an interesting, winding road for you, so I want to hear all about it. So start in your youth days where you went to college, I think you may even bounced around to a couple colleges, and then how you ended up back in Minnesota. For club, I grew up in a town called Hastings, Minnesota, and my dad was actually one of the co-founders of the club that's there now. And I grew up with my dad as my coach in a small town that just had one team for one age group, and you just rolled. So I played with the kids I grew up with, went to school with, and I really was in that type of environment for the majority of my youth until I got to the U16 age group. I decided to move on to a different club that could help me get into a collegiate pathway a bit easier than Hastings because Hastings certainly wasn't a club that did any showcases or anything like that. It was really local. I ended up playing for Minnesota Thunder Academy here in Minnesota. We were able to bounce around to many different showcases and at a showcase in Florida, South Carolina State contacted me afterwards. They had seen me play. They had the information from my academics from school, and they kind of just reached out saying, hey, 
we like what we saw, and if you come here, it looks like you'd be able to get a full ride. The co-chairs, Bob Rogario and Sandy Burris, I went down, visited. It was a really different experience. South Carolina State is an HBCU, and Minnesota is a place that doesn't have a lot of diversity. That in itself really was attractive to me to be in a new place. When I went down there, the experience altogether, the culture, the people, the soccer was phenomenal. The first game I started, I tore my MCL. So my view of myself and being an athlete and that being the core of my identity was really rocked because I became a player that went and watched practice and did a lot of physical therapy. Um, And essentially, the academics weren't the fit I was looking for at the time. And so actually the summer, in about June of the summer after my freshman year is when I decided that it wasn't the right spot for me and I wanted to go somewhere else. So turned into a whirlwind of trying to find a new school, did a essentially a cross-country tour with my dad, going to a whole bunch of different places, and I ended up at Hanover College in southern Indiana. Beautiful campus, phenomenal school. It was a really great fit academically. Met some really nice people there, and ultimately it just wasn't a space where I could feel like I could be my true self, and the soccer wasn't a great fit. And so... Once again, late in the year, I decided to take another leap, and in May of that, after my sophomore year, I decided that I was ready to just be closer to home. And so I was really fortunate that I have some great friends that played at the University of Wisconsin River Falls for Sean McCurris. I was able to connect with him, and at that point in my life, I really just needed a coach that would allow me to come into a program and prove who I was and just let me be that. And he right away said, I'm not going to make any promises to you. I'm going to let you prove yourself. And so I walked into River Falls, and I had two phenomenal years there. Had I gone there originally, I don't think it would have been a great fit. It's actually about 35 minutes from my parents' house. But it ended up actually being a really wonderful pathway for me as a development, as a young adult into who I've now become. And I'm very thankful for that path to have really gotten me where I am today. So I'm fascinated by your first stop because we've been having a lot of dialogue about Black Lives Matter. And here you are, this young white woman from Minnesota, and you basically said, if I heard you correctly, that you wanted the diversity of going to an HBCU, which is a historically black college and university, I got to believe that had to be really interesting and had to help you grow. Can you talk about that experience and what made you say, I want to be at an HBCU university? Yeah, that's a great question. And it is really pertinent to the climate that we're in today. Really, I think when I've reflected back, I'm fortunate to have had the parents that I've had because growing up in a predominantly white culture where the amount of people of color within my schools, I can't tell you a single teacher or coach that I ever had that was a person of color growing up through my youth. I could tell you maybe two kids in my class of about 480. And so when I received the communication from the coaches, it was kind of like, oh, I don't really know, but I really had my mind set on playing Division One soccer, and that had been my goal for a really, really long time. So took the leap there. My parents never had an issue with a single part of it. They never said like, oh, are you sure you really want to do this? They were 100% on my side and let me really navigate those waters myself. And to be fair, I grew up in Minnesota, and like my awareness of diversity at that time was really limited, like limited in a way I didn't recognize I was in an environment that wasn't diverse, even though that's really the case. And so going there, 
I was immersed in a world where now looking back, I say it was almost as if I was able to travel abroad while still staying in the United States because it was the opposite type of culture from what I had been raised within. And I think I've always been a person that I really like to explore the new and understand people for who they are. And so my closest group of friends when I was there were a group of, like, the black community. There was a white community on campus, and I really appreciated my time with them. But I was really immersed and brought in warmly by this community that was so different from my own. I got to have black professors, black athletic trainers, black friends, black roommates, and that is not anything I feel like I would have been able to receive had I stayed closer. And it has absolutely been a foundation for who I've become and my passion now for social justice. It was a a learning curve for sure, though, because I got to go into an environment and be a minority. Granted, I got to go onto that campus and be a minority, and then I got to leave the campus and go back to being light, but I got to see my life through a different lens that I'm really fortunate to have been granted that opportunity. I love that story as every week we continue to have dialogue. And and like you, I'm from the Midwest, and I'm also – I love your comment about not really realizing because at least my parents raised me to value people as they are. So when I was first in college and, you know, one of my best friends was black. He was in my wedding. And then I talked about Desmond Armstrong, my first interview, and I worked for U.S. soccer and certainly saw him just like me. But one of the things that I'm learning as we open up this dialogue is it is not easy being a black person in this country, particularly a black male, but even a black female. I mean, there are subtle little sort of indiscreet racism that we all use at some point that we don't realize it, you know, just by saying, wow, you're really well-spoken or, man, you're a great athlete rather than a great soccer player and those kind of things. Were you able to pick up on some of that or were you able to learn any lessons about what these young people have gone through living as a black person in America when you were there at South Carolina State? Yes and no. I think I got to experience the reality of life in that type of culture, but at the same time, I never experienced what it's like to be afraid or be ignored and all of these stories that especially we've been hearing now but have been happening for a really long time. But while I was there, I certainly got to learn, like, I would say the intricacies. Like, I got to learn about their food and, like, what it's like to dance and their music and understand how different cultures speak differently, even though they are speaking English. They're, in fact, speaking really differently and how that is immersed. The culture of fraternities and sororities in that type of environment is just phenomenal. Even the marching band there is one of my favorite memories of that entire experience. And, like, overall, I'd say I really got to understand the beauty of the culture. I was still really sheltered from the realities of maybe the trauma of being black in America. And I've had to now in my life delve into that and look into that to explore that as my role within this country and how to make the world a better place. But I I don't think I'd be able to do all of what I'm doing or have the perspective that I have now without that experience at South Carolina. One of the things that I find fascinating is I look at your bio as a freshman, and you pointed out you were there just one year as you had that terrible injury in the first game. Is Right off the bat, they ask you what your plans are after graduation. (laughs) And as a freshman coming in, you say coach soccer and work. And so you're doing what you wanted to do from the day you decided to go to college. It is interesting to 
watch it all come full circle, that's for sure. Throughout my education, I was in psychology when I immediately went into school. I transferred into kinesiology, integrated physiology, just because I have a huge passion for the body and mechanics and physical therapy. And then I found myself back to psychology um, and graduated with psychology and philosophy as my degrees. And I was really set that I was going to actually go into some form of family therapy, help the world in that lens. And so I never found myself taking next steps with that, simply I think because I'm a pretty empathetic person. I say it's my superpower and my weakness, and I didn't know if I could compartmentalize enough to be in a therapy setting. Those people are phenomenal. And so I found myself in a lot of fitness environments and a lot of other businesses moving up the ladders quickly, and I was always coaching on the side. And really, it was something that was just my passion. I was coaching on the side because after college, I didn't know how to transition from being the soccer player to now not being able to be the soccer player. And that identity crisis was real. And so I kept that coach aspect of soccer alive so I could still be within the community. And then fortunately through the pathway that I've had and the people I've been fortunate to play for or coach alongside or work for, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback and found myself in opportunities to continue to say yes when new things were put in front of me and really climb the ladder to turn this little passion of mine based off of my identity of I think I bleed soccer balls to now my passion is in fact my career. So I've got to ask you then, knowing that you always wanted to be a coach, when you found out about the 30 under 30 program, how excited were you to register? And then how excited were you to learn that uh, you were indeed part of the class? Yeah, I was really excited to register, really hopeful. And when I got the acceptance that I was part of the class, I really had to take a couple of moments because I was so thrilled. The excitement was, I didn't know how to contain it. I'm really excited. I called my parents. I called my other family members. I called my boss. And it was so wonderful to have these people that are my squad, my team here, kind of be my champions and cheer me on and feel proud with me and for me. Um, I was really excited, really pumped to be a part of the class. It's been a phenomenal experience. Okay, Delaney, if you've heard my interviews with the other members of 30 Under 30, I'd like to ask that crystal ball question. And with you, I'm definitely fascinated by it, particularly going back to your bio where I see Dan and Jenny are your mom and dad and Jenna and Mackenzie are your siblings. But 10 years from now, where do you think Jenna and Mackenzie and Dan and Jenny will see you? What, what, what do you think you'll be doing? Yeah, wow. The crystal ball looking ahead. If you ask them where they'd see me, I think the first thing they'd say is happy. They have been my core in what I have done. They have been my support system. I wouldn't be able to be where I am in coaching now without them having done what they've done and supported me the way that they have. And they also are very open to my experiences. I've played around with the idea of coaching in college and coaching in club, and I really have this huge passion for coaching young people and helping empower them. So I think you ask them, they would say that I would be somewhere hopefully leading a club within 10 years and really helping push player and people development through soccer in our country. Delaney Marrier, love your story, love your passion, and love you sharing your view on diversity as well. Delaney Marrier, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. Great to spend time with you. Yeah, it was awesome to be here. Thank you so much. Delaney was great, and our final guest, Ted Steen, is also great. He's a junior college head coach for a women's program. He's also a podcast host. 
The guy is money, Ted Steen, to end the show after this message. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, more 30 under 30s. We almost have all 30 done. We're so pleased to be joined by Ted Steen. Like so many members of our 30 under 30 class, they're already head coaches, a lot of them head coaches at colleges. No different for Ted Steen, who is entering his second season as the head women's soccer coach for Contra Costa College. That's in San Pablo, California, Northern California. It's a junior college, and Ted Steen joins me now. Ted, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dean. Happy to be here. Yeah, Ted, you, like so many other members of the 30 under 30 class, impressive already, second year as a head coach. What made you want to be a part of this 30 under 30 program? What do you remember about applying? What do you remember about hearing that uh, you're in? Initially, when I had moved out to California from Massachusetts, I took the national diploma course at San Francisco State University. And I really enjoyed the process. I mean, just being immersed amongst other coaches and being able to spend time together and learn from one another really had this communal feel that I really felt a good vibe from. And so within that program, we were told about the 30 under 30 program, and I thought that that sounded like a great opportunity for me. And unfortunately, I didn't get in the first or the second time that I had applied, but third time's the charm, and just before I had turned 30, I was finally accepted into the program. Great. I love that persistence, which means I'm sure you got a good story. I knew you grew up in the state of Massachusetts. Talk about growing up there, what clubs you played for, your college time at Union, and, and then how you eventually made your way out to California. Growing up, soccer was always the go-to sport for me. I mean, ever since I could walk, I always had a ball at my feet whether it was playing for the local town team or eventually moving my way into club. I always wanted to play soccer year-round. I bounced around into some other sports, a little basketball, a little lacrosse in high school as well, but soccer was always the mainstay for me. And so played for a couple clubs growing up, and when I was 15, I ended up joining FC United, and I played for a couple different teams within that club, Initially, I was part of a U18 team as a 15-year-old, and then as I turned 17 and that team had phased out, I joined another team within that program and really enjoyed my time there. I learned a lot under both coaches Hans de Kork and Coach Ahmed Bora, and while I was playing club, I was also playing for my local high school, Worcester Academy. Interesting freshman year. I wanted to play on the JV team because I had a lot of friends that were playing on that team as well, and I knew I'd have a good time. I knew that the varsity team was really competitive, and so freshman year I knew I wanted to just make sure that I was still enjoying the game and having a good time. And then sophomore through senior year, I was playing on the varsity team under James Proctor, who's a fantastic coach, and congratulations to them on just winning the NAPSAC Class A championship this past year for the first time. 
and it was thanks to his connection with Jeff Wynn at Union College, which is where I was able to make my transition to and play my four years there, and they compete in the Liberty League in upstate New York. I'm going to put a little pressure on you and ask for best memory as a player and best memory so far as a coach at any point of your life. Best memory as a player, best memory as a coach so far. The best memory that comes to mind as a player is back when I was playing at Worcester Academy in my senior year. We were in the quarterfinals playing against another team. And I knew that the college coach, Jeff Wynn, was going to be in attendance at this game. So there was a bit of pressure on. And I remember this one play. I was playing as a center forward, and our center mid pinged the ball into the corner for our left winger to get on. And I made the run into the box, and the left winger was able to serve the ball in. It was a bit behind me, and I had to take a step back to get back in line. And I jumped up and straining my neck backwards, I was able to make contact with the ball. And it flew into the top corner, off the post, and in. And I felt fantastic scoring this goal. I knew the coach was there. And, you know, I felt like this was the shining moment. And lo and behold, I find out that he actually hadn't made it to the game yet. He was coming up and over the hill to the field (laughs) as I was running away to celebrate the goal. So, <laughs> and then best memory of the coach? I'd say there have been a lot of teams that I've coached over the time and a lot of championships that teams have won. But I think in the present moment, my best moment would be taking on this head coaching role that I currently have with Contra Costa College for their women's soccer program. As the year that I took on the program, the year prior, didn't have any program whatsoever. So the challenge for me was to be able to build a program from scratch and going from a summer class that only had two people enrolled in it into the fall season without having any time to recruit, being able to get 16 players on the roster was an amazing feeling. And I think that although it wasn't the best season record-wise, I think that the fact that we were able to get our first win was that moment of realization that this was something that was going to be possible and that we were going to be able to build on and find success from. So being able to build this program and finally getting that win was great for me, not just uh, getting my first win as a collegiate head coach, but knowing that I was establishing a program here in an area that's usually pretty underserved and offering players in this area a competitive way to continue their soccer careers and also gain that education that's also important. What do you remember about the last year's convention? How much did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah, last year's convention was a blast. It's always great, like I had mentioned, with the diploma courses that are offered through United Soccer Coaches, that you really get immersed within that soccer community. So it was my second convention that I've attended, and I really enjoyed the field sessions. It's always good to get to see some great coaches in action. But I really took a step forward to this time around and attended a lot more of the classroom discussions. I feel like when you can sit down and really pick the brains of the educators that are there to present, you can learn so much more about the game. It's not just about the X's and O's, but also the sports psychology side of the game, understanding the value that nutrition plays in your players' developments, which is something else that I've been looking into as well. And again, 
as with most soccer-related objectives, it's all about those social connections. So getting to meet the other 30 under 30 members and getting to hear their stories. I have my own podcast, the Full 90 Coaching Podcast, and I've had a few of them on as well. So it was great to listen back to some of them here on your show and hear some of uh, the other perspectives that they were able to share. A fellow podcaster. I love it, Ted. Well done. I'll have to check that out as well. Where can people learn more about your podcast? Yeah, the podcast is called Full 90 Coaching, and it's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can stream your podcasts from. And you can also follow uh, my business account on Instagram at The Elite Soccer Training, where I share all the podcast updates as well as some of the personal and group training sessions that I offer. All right. Well, with that, Ted, I need you to help sell for us. In fact, uh, Jeff Van Dusen was on a couple of weeks ago talking about the convention going virtual. Here you are in Northern California. It would have been an easy trip down to Anaheim to be there in person. They're not going to do it safety first for all of our members. Please tell me that uh, you see value in being a part of the virtual convention January 11th through 15, where they'll have all kinds of sessions where you can learn all kinds of things. Please tell me that you'll want to be a part of that. Yeah, definitely. I'd say it's mandatory as a coach to be a part of the convention. Any chance to improve your education on the game is a chance worth taking. And, again, there's just so many different presenters presenting on a variety of topics that it doesn't matter if you're there for a couple days or you're there for the whole time. You're going to be able to pick up something new. Even if it's a session where you already know the general topic, say something simple like passing and receiving, there's always going to be little golden nuggets that these coaches are going to leave behind for you to pick up. It might be something that you've already seen before or heard before, but there's always something new that you can either add to your coaching toolkit or maybe you'll see something that you wouldn't be able to implement with one of your teams, but it might be able to work with another. Finally, knowing that you're a coach and a media superstar and you're right at that 30 mark, 10 years from now at that 40 mark, what do you want to be doing, coach? Yeah, great question. So, like I mentioned, I'm in my second year as the head women's soccer coach. I look forward to being into my 12th year as the head women's soccer coach here. So, again, developing this program after building it from scratch, I'd like to make it a powerhouse within the Bay Valley Conference. And then aside from the college coaching that I do, I'm also a competitive coach for local club teams, Spurs FC, and I'm also the recreation program director. So, again, looking to support the club and being able to develop the program that we can offer to the youth within our community. And, again, within the college scene, serving that underserved community and making sure that we're providing soccer to everybody. It's the world game, and we want to make sure we keep it that way. Ted, you get two thumbs up from me because not only is your story great, but you also know how to promote not only your podcast but also the virtual convention. So hats off to you as well. Ted Steen of our 30 Under 30 class, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Keysnap. Ted, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dean. Have a great day. I'll do just that. I want to thank Ted and all the great guests. I also want to thank Sean Chevro, Mike Knipper, and the great people at United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of them, I'm Dean Linky. See you next week. Stay safe, everybody.